Hi, everybody. This is Greg Pettix, and you're listening to the 33rd issue of Fantasy Comic Book Editor League. Uh, I Even though last episode was almost all um, anal retentive corrections of previous errata, um, in doing so, I made some more errata. And now I have to correct that. So I'm going to start off with a few more addendums. Um, I mentioned uh, every five years in Amazing Comics, uh, since the 60s, we've been doing a crossover, epic crossovers in our annuals. And I misspoke. And actually, I wanted to add some things and make it better. So in 1960, that's going to be the first crossover event, Time War. And we've basically throughout the 50s released a bunch of titles, um, two a year in the first two years. So we have all these disparate characters throughout time who can't really interact normally. So earlier than later, I'd like to have a time war so we can all get these dudes together and ladies. And um, the characters we developed in the 40s um, in Amazing Tales and even Victory Squad. We got them too. So it'll still be plenty of characters to play around with. So Time War is going to come out in 1960. That summer, all the annuals will have that a crossover. 1965, I want to do it again. We're going to have Time War 2. And um, this time we'll have some modern day superheroes to throw into the mix because... Uh, in the early years of the 60s, we start developing the amazing comic superhero universe. 1970 would be Cosmic War, and that's where basically all the uh, heroes are going to have to band together for some kind of interstellar threat. Maybe all the alien races, uh, many we've been introducing since the 50s, and such titles as Starhawk and Galaxy Core, these spacefaring characters we have. Um, they might, I don't know, big massive invasion. Everyone's got to team up to fight them. I was thinking of the characters in the past, their annuals could not necessarily tie in exactly, but they could have little things like, ah, maybe one of these aliens went to the Old West and met Gunhawk. Um, 1975, the crossover event is going to be Holy War. And Holy War is basically going to be all the pantheons that we've established. We've, uh... We've talked about the Norse gods, the Greek gods. Um, we're definitely uh, talked about the Hindu gods, um, even though Avatar comes out later, but we'll have already established that. Um, this is basically going to be like the gods are all fighting and all the characters of the amazing universe are kind of, you know, uh, swept into that dragged into that fight but I like the idea of holy war because we can establish some kind of uh, uh, I don't know structure to our, the cosmology we have in our universe because it's kind of confusing I mean which creation myth is right if there are all these gods are running around uh, so who's which gods are on top and which aren't but uh yeah, that should be interesting. Some fun stuff to play around with. 1980, uh, Total War. And that's where all the villains finally team up to uh, 
try to get rid of all the heroes. So that's going to be one that uh, doesn't really have any repercussions on any of our titles that take place in the past. But maybe they'll each have their own little uh, echo of it. For example, Ms. 45's annual that year. Maybe her biggest villains will all team up to kick her ass. They'll fail, of course. But, um, so that'll be the thing. 1985, uh, I was thinking it would just be this thing, Amazing War. Which would kind of be like this huge, massive crisis on Infinite Earths. Just an excuse to have every character we've ever made, um, all meet and interact and uh, obviously there'd be some time travel involved in that, so I guess it could just be called Time War 3. But I'm just calling it Amazing War because the scope is going to be very huge. And, um, yeah, that's uh, what I wanted to add there. I also wanted to bring up something about um, our comics that take place in the past. Um, I mentioned that our Western Gunhawk and our World War II series uh, Warhawk, how they are... Um, Basically, like, if you read every issue of those comics, you'd have a pretty good historical overview of those eras. Uh, you know, I want him them to be kind of touch on every little bit of history. So if you read those comics, you could actually, you'd be a pretty good historian of World War II or the Old West from reading those. You'd know all the shit. But I also don't want it to be not part of the universe. I like the idea, like in Marvel Comics, for example, that Two-Gun Kid would meet some, I don't know, demon bear or something, a Native American spirit. I still want it to be in the fun, fantastical, amazing universe. So I was thinking, you know, every now and then, you know, Warhawk might meet Dracula in some castle in Transylvania when he's fighting some Nazis. And every now and then, for the most part, they'll be realistic, but, every, but uh, they'll have some crazy things that, will be uh, add some flavor. There was a, a character I have called the Six-Gun Kid, and he's got six arms with a six-shooter in each hand. And he's got blue skin, and he's got a belt with tiny skulls on it. And uh, he's an avatar of Kali, because Kali doesn't like when things get too peaceful. So whenever they are, she sends her avatar, Six-Gun Kid, down to fuck with people. So I was just thinking that would be a crazy uh, nemesis for Gunhawk to fight in the Old West. <clears throat> and uh, no, who knows, you know, he could pop up anytime. He's immortal, so maybe he'll fight uh, Captain Action in an issue, in a very surreal issue. And there's another character I had called Dr. Quadros' Monster. And uh, he's a four-way monster. He's a uh, part mummy part werewolf, part vampire, part Frankenstein. And uh, basically, to make it quick, his origin was he's a pharaoh in, uh, in ancient Egypt, and he worships Set, you know, the, the dog-headed god. And because of that, he becomes a werewolf. Basically, he's an avatar of Set. So he gives it, so he's a werewolf. He marries a vampire, takes his wife, he doesn't know it first, but she bites him, and he's pretty cool with it. So they have children, but uh, the high priests of Egypt, most of them worship Ra, the sun god. Uh, they don't like the fact that 
this pharaoh is really into set. That's almost like heresy to them. So they kill him. And they mummify him while he's still alive. Him and his wife and his kids. And they put him in a tomb with no uh, pyramid on it. It's just under the sand. Because they want to forget this chapter. This heresy. They don't want people to even remember this pharaoh. And so a thousand years go by or so. And uh, this uh, there's this guy named Dr. Quadros. He's an Egyptian who's also uh, a scientist. Brilliant man who has been reading Dr. Frankenstein's papers on bringing humans back to life. But his problem is he lives in Egypt and people don't bury bodies in Egypt like in nice little graves. Um, it's hard to dig them up to get body parts because the sand it doesn't work, really work that well. But one day he's walking through the desert and there's a little mini earthquake, some tremors. And he falls through the roof of this tomb and the earthquake has kind of opened up the, the sarcophagi of the pharaoh and his wife and his kids. And they're kind of all messed up too. The, the stones have got a, a leg is over here, someone's head's over here. All mummified, of course. So he takes him to his laboratory and he sews one of them together. He's not even sure which of all the body parts are the right. And that's how you get Dr. Quadros's monster. <clears throat> part mummy, part werewolf, part vampire, and part Frankenstein. So that's a character I think he could go up against Frankenstein in our Frankenstein comics. And uh, he could, who knows, he could meet anyone. Uh, he could meet Gunhog back in the Old West even because he's from that era. And of course he's immortal, so he's gonna be around. So, uh, yeah, so you know what? This is, uh, I'm finally ready to get into 1990. Um, I forgot how fucking tricky this is when you got this many titles and artists and the logistics of, because the, the trick I make for myself is I try to have every artist I don't give him any downtime. You know, when he leaves a comic, I want to have a comic ready for him that year. And it's tricky. Because I got to, like, figure out, okay... Well, you know, it's just weird. Um, You don't know. I'm just a moron. But it's very tricky for me. I spent hours yesterday just looking through, like, two years of this and being like, wait, but if he goes there... Then what am I going to do with this guy? i got to find a home for him. But that is what fantasy comic book editing is all about. Sometimes you gotta, you got to work a little hard at it. you got to sweat a little. And that's what I've been doing the past couple of days for you. Okay, here it is. 1990 Amazing Comics releases a new title. And it's a new character named Agency. And Agency... Uh, is a woman who has the power well let me describe it this way first I always thought how weird it was that our senses can depict the things around us right um, our senses can do that but we have no our senses cannot see within ourselves why can't I be able to be like hey inner eye How's my kidney looking today? I can't. I'd have to go to a doctor and get an x-ray. 
I don't even know what the hell's going on in my body. I could have a huge tumor growing in my colon right now. I wouldn't know until it started hurting. So, but why is that? Why are, why is our brains, it, it seems like I could easily imagine that if, um, you know, evolution went another way, why wouldn't our brains like be able to look within and be like, hey, there's a parasite in my foot and my blood vessel down there, I can feel it or just sense it. So that's what agency's power is. Um, agency, uh, I imagine she developed these powers just through, I don't know, meditation, um, some kind of intense brain. She has. She, she might just have a mutant brain. And it sounds like, oh, that's not really that great. You just won't have to go to the doctor as much. But she can also do other things. Because she has the sense of what's in her body, she also learned how to control it. So she can, uh, you know, like, pump some more adrenaline. Like, force herself to. Just like I can make the muscles of my hand grasp something. Just as easy for her to say, okay, endocrine system, start cranking out some of that shit. Or whatever she needs at the time. You know, she gets a big cut in her arm. She can take energy from one part of her body like, hey, pancreas, don't uh, worry about my blood for an hour. I need that energy to have some extra healing. And uh, hopefully uh, I'll be okay. So um, I guess the writer would have to probably be like a doctor or a pretty smart. Because I couldn't figure, I wouldn't know this shit at all. But I like the idea of that power. It's not very strong, you know. It's, it's very street level superior. She's gonna be, but um, she's gonna be pretty kick ass. And I also I don't know why I think because the artist I picked for this is Rags Morales. Rags Morales just started around the early '90s working for DC. Did this really nice looking uh, Black Condor miniseries. Went on to do some huge, you know, superstar titles at DC. You know, big big time superhero stuff. But when he started, uh, he wasn't as slick, but he had this really interesting, typical comic book style, but like almost with a little hint of Michael Golden that, uh, I don't know how to describe it, if you don't know Michael Golden, just um, a slight bit of cartooniness, even though it's dark and serious art. Um, it's just not as bland as so many superior artists were, especially at the time, where it was just... Just kind of soulless shit. He definitely had a little style going on. And I was picturing him, you know, kind of drawing darker stuff, though. And I don't know. I was thinking also on top of agency having these powers. I, I like the idea of, like, she's kind of this, like, gnarly, grungy hero. Not in the sense of uh, Nirvana or Soundgarden. Grungy, like... You know, like, how there's always that male superhero is this, like, down-and-dirty scrapper. Maybe kind of crazy. And they become very popular. But there's no woman superhero like that. Like, women superheroes, you know, like, Wonder Woman. And, and you know, just all of them. They're, I want an agency to be, like, she'll basically be, like, our female Wolverine. Just her attitude and the way she's, uh just really tough as fuck so that's the title for 1990 uh, The Amazing Tales Annual that year is uh, not uh, using my imagination too much because this really happened in our reality 
And that would be, it's going to be The Magic Flute by P. Craig Russell. I figure P. Craig Russell loves doing those opera adaptations. We already let him do the whole ring cycle a few years back. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to keep letting them do them for us. Because um, they're beautiful. And uh, P. Craig Russell's the master of that. Um, and that summer, I have to mention, too, speaking of crossovers, it's going to be our latest crossover. Um, of course, it'll have a better title, but this is just the the meat and potatoes title, Reality War. And this is going to be a war where is lots of interdimensional traveling will go on. Alternate realities will get to see, like, Gunhawk will get to see the old west of some other reality. All Where, I don't know where... Catholics started American instead of Protestants. And um, there'll be just all these alternate realities because I love that shit. So, um, and out of that crossover, a character is going to kind of be the, kind of the main um, uh, catalyst for it. And a few years later, we're going to see that guy again. And, um, but this is going to be just a pretty, a pretty fun crossover, I think. Because, you're going to see all these alternate dimensions, alternate realities where things went a little differently. And uh, maybe there'll be, you know, of course, there could be one where the Nazis won World War II or the South won the Civil War or uh, all those typical what-if scenarios. And our heroes will interact with them. Also in this one, they could cross over into Wonderland and meet uh, the Mad Hatter and all those characters. Uh, maybe... Uh, they could, uh, f some of the heroes will find themselves in Oceana in 1984, uh, George Orwell's 1984, and, um, you know, fighting Big Brother. It could be a lot of fun stuff, and, uh, just let your imagination go wild. So, 1991, we got a new title, but not a new character. Hercules is finally getting his own title. Hercules, who's was in the very first Amazing Comics uh, comic in 1941, January. He was in Amazing Tales number one. And he was in there for a decade. And, but then since then, his tales throughout time have been told in Amazing Spotlight, uh, popping up every few centuries, getting into crazy adventures. But now it's time. Um, maybe a few years earlier, this already happened. He's been, you know, guest starring in, in other comics. Maybe he's been in the Furies for the past few years, too, for all I know. Um, but Hercules is getting his own comic, and he's definitely properly in current Amazing Comics universe time. And, uh, and we're going to get Keith Giffen to draw that. And uh, Keith Giffen in the early 90s... He was, uh, he, all the styles that he ripped off over his life, it's like he finally figured out a way to put him in a pot and simmer and boil the shit out of that and come up with something that was definitely wholly his own. It's, uh, he only did it for a few years. Uh, I think it was labor intensive, this style, and I think he didn't like it because, Pretty much after that, Keith Giffen stopped drawing and just started writing. 
um, you youngins might just know Keith Giffen as a writer. You know, he's written a lot of good stuff. But he was an artist when he started and then became a writer artist. And now he just writes. But yeah, the early 90s till about the mid 90s when he was drawing Trencher for Image. Uh, he did some Lobo specials in this style. His style got really beautifully crazy. Um, it was only a few years, unfortunately. But it was def- you could tell it was Giffen. But with this crazy line, the ink line was just nuts. Um, man, it was really unique. So, you know, Hercules, you know, who knows? Maybe he's out traveling through space all the time. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. He's a god, well, a demigod or half god. So Keith Giffen, you know, definitely has a good sense of humor. He's going to be getting into all kinds of zany, crazy fucking adventures. And um, it'll be fun. So I think that'll be a great comic. Um, We've seen Hercules for 50 years at this point, but now we get to see Hercules now in the Amazing Universe, maybe traveling through space too. I don't know. Okay, that summer, the Amazing Tales Annual is going to be Taipei, Herman Melville's first novel before he did Moby Dick. And uh, we're going to get Gary Gianni to draw that. And uh, Gary Gianni, around this time, popped up in comics. It seemed like all he wanted to do was... uh, classic adaptations of things he did uh started off with some O. henry story adaptations and he did Twenty Thousand leagues into the sea and um he did a few other things but he re- he just had this amazing classic illustrator style totally unlike anything anybody else was doing in comics but he was so good at it people responded to it it, it, it looks literally like it's from the 1920s his style like from some beautiful old magazine. Just amazing pen work and line work and a really good artist. So in the few years coming up, next 10, 20 years, we're going to have lots of... He's going to be basically our go-to guy for Amazing Tales annuals. You know, our our classics illustrated, if you will. And uh, yeah, I think he would like to do it and he's great at it. Okay, man, there's a lot of artist switchers coming up. It's This is going to be a while. So 1991. Um, let's go back to January, shall we? And I don't even... Okay, I'm just going to start at the top and keep going. Okay, Gunhawk, our Western comic. John Severin's coming back. John Severin's done all our Western comics over the past 30 years now. Oh, I'm sorry, 40 years. And just like in our reality, you know, John Severn was, loved Westerns, did them forever. And then, you know, did some other things, always did some other stuff. But he always came back to Westerns. So I figure, you know, I'm racking my brain trying to think of who in the 90s could draw Western. Westerns were a dead thing um, for the most part. So, you know, most guys had a superior style, didn't really work for Westerns. But I figure John Severn... He, I, he's still around in the 90s. He's not only around, he's fucking still amazing in the early 90s. Um, hasn't lost one iota of his drawing skill. So why not have him come back to Gunhawk? And we got the best Western comic artist probably of all time, and we have a Western to be drawn. So, sure. 
I I don't usually have many uh, callbacks. Or I try to have all the artists, uh, you know, do a new title that they haven't done before. But you know, that's also silly, because he probably would have loved to come back to Gunhawk, just like he came back to Rawhide Kid when there was a miniseries or at Marvel. So um, yeah, Severin's gonna be nice and comfortable there for a while, because you know he loves westerns. Okay, Renegade, our other western. Uh, on the flip side, about a Native American hero. That's going to be taken over by Jose Ortiz. And, um, should I think I, I think I'm saying his name wrong again. Juan Ortiz? I think it's Jose. Okay, Jose Ortiz will be taking over Renegade. And that would just be so great. Ortiz has got that nice, rough style. Um, I think it would be perfect for the Old West and, uh, for Indians and. It would be great. So uh, next up is Tor. Um, this is going to be exciting. Tor is going to be taken over by Simon Bisley. And you know Simon Bisley. He's like, if Frank Frazetta and Richard Corbin had a shit baby, but not a shit baby, a wonderful golden shit baby, amazing artist, um... But then you'd have to add, on top of Corbin and Frazetta, some, like, even more drastic exaggeration, almost cartooniness. So, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's a little Harvey Kurtzman in uh, in there. A little bit of Harvey Kurtzman jizz in that baby. But um, I think him drawing a caveman comic, just, it would just be fun. It would, it would just be just gnarly shit. Just violent, crazy action in caveman times. Okay, next, Captain Action. Um, that's going to be taken over by Kevin Maguire. And um, this is kind of a callback. In the early 90s, Kevin Maguire did a miniseries of Marvel of Captain America back in the 40s. And uh, it was really good. He was really suited for just that typical Union suit-wearing superhero, you know, like Captain America. Um, not too gritty, you know, and you know Captain Action's pretty much our, that's our guy. So I, I'm looking forward to that. Kevin McGuire is going to be joining Captain Action for a few years. Galaxy Core will be taken over by. Wait for it, Barry Smith. The first time we had an artist leave and come back. This mirrors our reality. Barry Smith, a huge artist in the early '70s, came to prominence doing Conan the Barbarian. Basically, for three or four years, he worked at Marvel Comics, and then he just was like, you guys don't pay me enough. I'm too good for this shit. I'm just going to make portfolios and make, sell my paintings. Um, just, you guys pay so shitty. Like, even though Barry Smith was this amazing comic artist who made Conan a huge seller, you know. It was his style that really helped push Conan over. But back then, they just were, all those comic companies were morons. It was just like, oh, well, see you later. So they lost all the, the years of Barry Smith's comic work. He probably would have created, you know, a lot of money for him. But they were turds. So, but then in the late 80s, well, in the mid-80s, Marvel changed their pay policies. And DC, they started giving royalties. They realized that, like, okay, guys, we have to fucking come into the, 20th century 
and not treat our artists like, you know, slaves. So Barry Smith came back to comics, and he really did. Like, it's not like he just did little vanity projects here and there. He was, like, drawing monthly comics for even startup companies like Valiant and Malibu and the Ultraverse. So in late 80s, early 90s, you know, yeah, Barry Smith is back in the game, and I want him because his style's amazing in the intervening years. It's, it's totally, it's kind of different, a much lighter style, less um, brushwork. But um, in the 20 years he was gone, or 10, 15 years he was gone, he became a much better artist. And uh, so he's going to be drawing Galaxy Core, our science fiction comic. And, you know, Barry Smith can draw anything, so I'm sure it'll look fucking amazing. Oh, um, speaking of which, I, I, I don't think I ever mentioned this. In the early 80s, that's about when, like, the Baxter paper came out for comics, epic comics. Um, DC had some graphic novels on the nice paper, so you could have beautiful colors, finally, without the crappy printing of, uh, you know, how comics were printed. And, you know, it was usually just for special projects, and the majority of comics were still printed on, uh, you know, those crappy presses. But I'm thinking, since we at Amazing Comics have no middleman, I think we could afford to just keep our comics the same price on the newsstands and print like that. So, I don't know if I mentioned this, but from the early 80s on to mid-80s, from the early to mid-80s on, all of our comics are just like comics are today. You know, all nice paper, any color you want, completely that kind of printing. So, um, I think I was thinking of that because Barry Smith, like when he colors himself on his little projects that he does for himself, I mean, it's fucking beautiful. So I just, I don't want to see Galaxy Core on newsprint paper and uh, with that kind of coloring. I want it to fucking glow and shimmer with Barry Smith colors and all these other artists. And speaking of which, here's another comic I definitely want on nice paper. Dr. Warlock will be taken over by Brendan McCarthy. Oh my God, that was so perfect. Brendan McCarthy, total student and acolyte and worshiper of Steve Ditko. He's getting a takeover Dr. Warlock. And he did a Dr. Strange miniseries well, it was a Spider-Man Doctor Strange miniseries in our reality. And it was so fucking amazing. So he's going to be doing Doctor Warlock for the next four years. And I'm very excited. And I think he would be too. And that is just going to be fucking some trippy stuff. Um, I'm glad that the comics code doesn't have much power anymore. Oh no, I've, I'm sorry. Amazing Comics was never under the comics code. I forgot. Next up is Warhawk. And that is going to be taken over by Matt Wagner. And uh, Matt Wagner, I figured, could be great at Warhawk. Well, he's Matt Wagner can is, in my mind, is great at taking over any comic. He always writes great stories about whatever character, whatever milieu he's depicting, whatever era. Like he could just draw or write and draw a straight superior comic if he wanted to. Like completely vapid, it would still be better than most. So I figure he's going to take over Warhawk. Warhawk at this point is, you know, getting into all these adventures all throughout the 40s and 50s, late 40s and 50s. And, you know, Matt Wagner did that Sandman Mystery Theater for a long time. He wrote it for DC. 
for Vertigo. And he was just great at, like, bringing up those period details and finding all those interesting stories that happened back then. I think it would be an amazing comic. And um, around this time, Matt Wagner doesn't draw that much. He basically becomes a writer for the most part. Every now and then he'd draw a special project. But, you know, his Grendel comics were all drawn by other people. Didn't stop doing Mage. Um, every now and then he did, like, some graphic novel or miniseries that he actually drew. So I figure, you know, every now and then Warhawk will just have an art guest artist. Wagner will just write it. But whenever he can, he'll draw it too. Because he's a, still a great artist, even though he barely draws anymore. After that, we got Airstrike. Airstrike is going to be taken over by George Freeman. And, uh, you know, George Freeman, perfectly great superhero artist. I think that'll be good. Coyote is going to be taken over by a new member of our team. Uh, Eric Larson uh, went on to create the Savage Dragon, one of the founding fathers of Image. Um, I guess um, compared to a lot of the artists in my uh, stable, he's uh, kind of goofier than most. Um, just has this very fanboy style. He he did a lot of fanzines as a kid. But there is something about Eric Larson. His comics are just fucking fun. When he did Spider-Man for a while, before he started Image, you know, I was barely reading superhero comics at that time. I was already in my early 20s. But they were fun fucking comics. And I was like, I wish Spider-Man was this cool when I was a kid. It was this fun. So I think Larson taking over Coyote would be fun as hell. Uh, maybe compared to the quality of our other artists, at least just pure drawing quality wouldn't be as good. But, you know, this is comic books. It's cartooning. Sometimes that shit works. So there you go. Clawfang the Barbarian is our next title to have a switcheroo. And this is going to be good. Timothy Truman's going to take over. And uh, I always suspected Timothy Truman would be good at barbarian stuff because um, he's always drawn, like, basically raw, gritty characters, really tough, um, you know, dudes. But then, you know, even though I thought that all through the 80s, and then he took over Conan in the 2000s when Dark Horse got him, and he was great at it. So I was like, I knew Truman was good at that. So him doing Clawfinger the Barbarian could be, this going to be some savage shit. It's going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of savage swords around. Next up is Night Ranger. Our, our Batman knockoff. And this is... I've wanted this for a while. Paul Galacy's going to take over. And Paul Galacy is just made for Batman. He didn't do enough Batman. He's had a bunch of runs on him. Little runs here and there. But man, I'm making him stay for like six years. And uh, I'm not going to let him leave. So I just think that's going to be a golden age for Night Ranger. Um... Paul Gullisey drawn him. Especially early 90s. Paul Gullisey's still amazing. Next up, Ms. Nova. And this is kind of a perfect fit. This is going to be taken over by Adam Hughes. Ms. Nova is our basically Superman level character. But she's a woman. So Adam Hughes is the perfect guy to draw her. Adam Hughes was like the 90s master of cheesecake art. Anytime like Wonder Woman needed a hot cover... Or any female character, they'd get Adam Hughes. But he's just a really damn good artist, too. So he's he doesn't have to. But I think he prefers to draw women, obviously. And that's why he keeps doing that. Um, he's quite good at it. 
but he's good at drawing everything. He's just an amazing cartoonist. And uh, him doing Ms. Nova, that's going to be fucking sweet. Next up is Shade, the Changing Man. And that's going to be taken over by Tom Sutton. And Tom Sutton, you know, has been around since the 70s with us. And uh, usually he always does the weirder titles. Doesn't Wasn't really built to do straight superhero stuff. It's not, it's not in his wheelhouse. Um, but yeah, him doing Shade with all the wonkiness and craziness that Steve Ditko set up. It'll totally look different than that. But I think Tom Sutton's going to do a great job on that. Next up, we got Eagle. And Eagle's going to be taken over by a young Bart Sears, another new member of our fraternity of sequential narrative. And, um, yeah, Bart Sears came out in the late 80s, early 90s, had a very, um, I mean, it was kind of like this macho, testosterone-fueled style. But it was pretty fucking cool. Like, I remember, like, on seeing some of his stuff and being like, man, no other guy in Marvel and DC draws like this. Like, it's a lot of work behind that. And um, so, yeah, it's uh, kind of lunk-headed, but also pretty fucking cool. I mean that, like, my 14-year-old self is saying that. It's just like, I don't know how to describe it. It's fucking cool-looking. I want to see him draw, like, Eagle, who's kind of like this darker superhero. And... Um, I think it'll be great. Next up is Tempest Fugitives, our time-traveling group, um, rotating members depending on the needs of the mission. And uh, and that will be taken over by Howard Chaikin, which I think will be perfect because Howard Chaikin can draw anything, any era. He probably has drawn almost every era in his comics. He's drawn so many comics and written them. So he will be uh, doing that. Um, Arsenal is the next title. That's our character with uh, photographic reflexes. Perfect Abe. And uh, that'll be taken over by Paul Smith. And uh, I don't really see the fit there. I just figure I got a superhero. Paul Smith's a good superhero artist. It's, it's not really speaking to me, but um, I think it'll be fine. Vigilante will be taken over by Trevor Von Eden, and I think that would be pretty nice. Uh, Trevor Von Eden, good at telling that kind of gritty, you know, urban, tough shit. So he'll take over Vigilante, and that'll be good. Next up is Avatar, and Avatar will be taken over by Kevin O'Neill. And that'll probably usher in a new chapter in Avatar's uh, career of really weird craziness. Because Kevin O'Neill is just, whatever he draws, he makes it crazier than the writer ever envisioned. But I mean, him drawing the Indian gods with his, I think he'd get into it. I think he'd love it. Because that guy likes to draw everything and anything. And he's good at all of it. So Avatar's going to be pretty nutty for the next four years. And, uh, I would just love to see that comic. I can't even... I don't, I don't have the imagination or skill to uh, even imagine how fucking crazy and fun that comic would be. Next up, Nemesis. Uh, the character created by Matt Wagner a few years ago for us, who's basically just Grendel. He's a super smart supervillain who actually has... A, but he has his own title. So the, 
the the character, <clears throat> the title character, is a villain. Yeah, he's not a good guy at all. He's a really bad man. Um, but I think that would be interesting seeing that side of the fence for once. And that's going to be taken over by Chris Warner. I think that'll be a great matchup. Chris Warner's good at drawing just like, you know, street level stuff. And um, he, you know, created X for Dark Horse, that uh, crazy vigilante character. I think, uh, yeah, that's going to be some good stuff. And last but not least is Vanguard. Our kind of Bernie Sanders superhero. And that's going to be taken over by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. So that's, that's going to be perfect. Uh, any superhero that Lopez draws is always perfect because he has the perfect superhero style. So there you have it. I did it. I finally got into the 90s. I think. The next episode, I almost got nailed down, so pretty soon I'll be telling you about those changes. <clears throat> but thanks for listening, and uh, it's been a kind of long episode. And uh, I hope you tune in next time as we continue Amazing Comics into the 90s. Good night.